Welcome to Mindful School Marketing, your go-to podcast for personal and professional growth. We're school marketers, business owners, and moms passionate about connecting other school professionals with tools and strategies for success. We love solving problems, exploring new ideas, and thinking outside the box. Let's transform your school and life starting right now. This episode is brought to you by Enquiry Tracker. Easily manage all your inquiries, tours, open houses, and applications with a system designed by K-12 education marketing and admissions professionals. Welcome to Mindful School Marketing. I'm Tara Clays. And I'm Aubrey Bursch. Today, we're joined by Ed Hollinger. Ed is an educational leader and consultant specializing in transitional leadership, team development, and professional coaching. His work focuses on helping individuals and organizations discover and develop their best professional selves. Welcome, Ed. We're so glad you're on the podcast today. Well, thank you so much. Uh, It is an absolute delight to be here. Um, I have, uh, I've been a great admirer of the work that both of you have done. And uh, anytime I have a chance to chat with you, spend time with you, share some space with you, I, I am just delighted to do that. So thank you so much for the invitation. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Likewise, we're excited that you're here. Uh, we really enjoyed Good. chatting with you at the National Small Schools Conference. We met so many interesting, great people and colleagues there. And hearing you speak about your leadership and um, especially during challenging times and what you've done um, Mm -hmm. during this time for schools. Can you tell us more about yourself and as a starting point, though, and your journey in independent schools, what your background is? Sure, sure. I'd be happy to do that. Thanks. Um, I my my entire career since I graduated college, uh, I won't say what year. It's been a long time ago. Um, Just Suffice it to say, it's been a while. Um, I I started out in education. I was given an opportunity to um, uh, teach students at the middle school and high school level in the area of the social sciences, which is my field of study and what I was most interested in at, at the college level and, and still am. Um, so I did that for what has amounted to about the first third of my career. And from there, I, I was given some opportunities to, uh, once I determined that school life is where I wanted to be, that was really my passion and where I felt most connected. Um, I, I was given the opportunity to to move into more of the student services area. And uh, I was a guidance counselor for a number of years, moved into the area of college counseling, really enjoyed that work. Um, and from there, it kind of uh, uh, merged into uh, a full-blown school leadership, I'll call it. Not that you don't do leadership at other levels, but my full-time work became leading schools and eventually getting into some of the consulting and coaching work that I do now. Uh, and that journey has taken me, um, I have worked in over 12 different schools uh, in seven different states. Um and and really just in the last 15 years or so, that journey has become much more itinerant where I do transitional leadership work for schools, um, typically being in an interim headship for one year, sometimes two years, sometimes even short-term engagements if there's kind of an emergency situation. Um, so that's that's been my career track. I've uh, been doing it for a while. And I have, over the years, I've come to define my work um, Aubrey, as you mentioned in in that very kind introduction, um, creating a world of work with people at their best. That's my mission. And what I hope to do is employ three basic strategies to help organizations and people do that. It's first of all, strength-based. 
Know and leverage your strengths. Know what they are and use those on a daily basis. Secondly, it's what I call strategic self-awareness. Know your weaknesses. Know your vulnerabilities. Know where those things are that will trip you up when you're not paying attention or when you're under stress, which we oftentimes are. And the third is just the self-management. Take care of yourself. So we follow those three steps. Uh, I think we can collectively create a world of work where people are at their best. That's what I hope to do with my with with the work that I've uh, uh, been been doing uh, in recent years. That's amazing. I think you have such an interest. Like your journey fascinates me as well as your work. As we've discussed before, Ed, I'm just fascinated by your work, and I love that you're really helping people be at their best in their the positions that they are and and in the communities that they're a part of. Um, so, you know, it's fascinating to me. Um, I really enjoyed chatting with you at the National Small Likewise. Schools Conference. It was great to meet you in person. Um, mm -hmm. And I had the pleasure of attending your presentation, which was titled mm -hmm. Leading a Small School in Uncertain Times, <clears throat> Fostering Resilience, Building Strength, Minimizing Turbulence. Um, so in your role and have you, as you described, you know, transitional yeah. leadership and everything like that, you often have to navigate uncertain and challenging situations, probably all the time. Yeah. Um, so I'm wondering, you know, thinking of our audience of all these amazing school leaders that we have mm -hmm. listening, like, can you share some strategies that you found helpful in these situations, including those, you know, you shared in the presentation that I had the pleasure of attending? Sure, sure. I'd be happy to. Um, I, before I get into the strategies, just let, let me just kind of set the context of of, of what those strategy, how those strategies would be employed. Um, I, in that presentation, Aubrey, that you referenced, I talked about this notion of uh, the VUCA environment, V-U-C-A, and that's a, a a term. It stands for volatility, uncertainty, chaos, and ambiguity. That, that term, that an acronym was first coined by the folks in the military a number of years ago in response to kind of a changing world order that came after the Second World War and into the Cold War and then with the uh, collapse of the Soviet Union and so forth. And then a number of Warren Bennis and a couple other business consultants kind of grabbed hold of that term and said, well, this kind of describes our economic environment, our business environment. How do we sp respond to volatility, uncertainty, chaos and ambiguity? So, you know, I, I I took those contexts and kind of said, well, it, you know, particularly in the in the COVID world that we are actually still not out of. But I, I looked at that and said, well, doesn't that doesn't VUCA kind of describe what our lives in schools have been like these last couple of years? And I think it really does. When I look at not just COVID and all of the disruption and volatility that that caused, uh, you know, I, I look at our overall, um, you know, you can point to our areas around political unrest that seem to um, uh, affect how we do things. Just the civil discord, the the inability to have civil conversations anymore, the, the attacks that we in independent schools particularly are under with some of our initiatives around diversity and belonging. Um, the economic uncertainty, the questions about our long-term viability, and and just even maybe at, at at kind of the personal core, a lack of center. You know, there's a lot of research about how communities are fragmented. People aren't surrounded by their communities of faith anymore, and and that lack of center leaves us in kind of this VUCA environment, as I call it. So, I 
I, I think VUCA, even though it was first coined in a very different context, has many implications to the work we do and, and life in, in schools today. So the strategies around that that I unpacked, uh, and this is based on my own anecdotal experience, but also what the researchers are saying. There's a lot of folks who have studied this, uh, and I've, I've tried to immerse myself in that. There's some folks um, over at the uh, um, University of Michigan, the Ross School of Business, the Center for Positive Organizations, doing a lot of work in how you can bring the positive anecdotes to the VUCA environment. Uh, I know the folks um, at Hogan Assessments out in Tulsa, Oklahoma, do a lot of really good research and then apply some strategies, particularly the work I do in, in coaching, uh, where we can apply some of these, you know, what, what are the personality tendencies that would lead us to derail in the midst of this VUCA environment? So what we've come up with is really, I, I just point out a couple of my own experiences and what the research says. And the one would be, the first off is, the need for us to foster versatility. We all have our comfort style. We all have our aspects of our personality that lead to good leadership. And we leverage those strengths. We know who we are, we know what we're good at. But when we're in a different context, oftentimes if there's an over-reliance on that, those strengths, or if there is um, just, you know, I have to I have to pivot to areas that are not in my comfort zone. How can I handle those? And the research would say foster versatility, learn how to deal with that ambiguity, anticipate the problems that may be coming up, and be flexible. Most of us in school leadership, you know, we're good at organizing things. We're good at scheduling things. We're good at running the school, making it run smoothly. And then COVID hits, and we have to revamp all of that on a very quick notice that leads us to this you know ambiguity and, and um uh, um and very difficult problems that maybe we're not equipped to handle but we need to rely on strengths that we didn't know we had so it's that i'll call it versatility so step number 1 foster versatility the second is to leverage our strengths and what i mean by that is not an over reliance on what we're really good at but I like to call it finding our equilibrium. We all have particular styles that we're geared toward, and hopefully those leadership styles are good fits with what our organization needs. But at the same time, we need to lean into those things that are harder for us to do. Some of us are really good at, we would, uh, the Hogan folks would say, you are, uh, you, you might be a people leader. And if, I, if I'm kind of geared toward those interpersonal relationships, sometimes I let the more strategic kinds of things go untapped. And in a VUCA environment, I really need to rely on that. I need to stretch myself and say, how can I leave some of those, you know, uh, the, the style that I'm comfortable with, how can I come over into a style that I might have to work a little bit harder at? So that's what I mean by leveraging our strengths. And that's also part of that fostering versatility. The other is just the self-care. That's the third one that I like to talk about. Um, uh, creating time in your day to reflect, uh, creating time in your day to connect with other people. Um, I have the good fortune every Monday afternoon at two o'clock central time, uh, a group of heads from the uh, Chicago area where I'm working right now, we all get together. And, and we share stories, we share problems, we share 
projects that we're working on that we want ideas on. And it's just this wonderful, safe place to come together. And it's really important to create those networks. That's part of the self-care. And then I think in, in response to VUCA, that V-U-C-A, an acronym, I, and I can talk a little bit more about this later, but um, one of the strategies I think is to shift that conversation. I like to use those four terms, which, which are negative in their context, and say, how can we turn that into a positive? And, and somebody came up with, 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 with a way of doing that, and I'm borrowing from the work that they've done. They, they say, take volatility and turn it into vision. Take uncertainty, turn it into understanding. Take chaos, turn it into clarity. Take ambiguity and turn it into agility. Vision is the what, understanding is the why, clarity is the who, agility is the how. Let's flip that conversation and rely on, take VUCA and turn it into a strength opportunity for us. So fostering versatility, leveraging our strengths, self-care, shifting the conversations. Those are four strategies that I think we, we can employ to get us through the VUCA environment, the challenging things that we're all living in. That's really helpful. Yeah. I, I apologize if that was no. too long an answer no. for you, but that's uh, that, that's how I like to frame it. No, I'm so glad you went on because when you started, I was starting to get really depressed and feel hopeless. And then you <laughs> kind of flipped it around on how to handle it. So I think that it's really important to, you know, to think about those strategies. You know, we do Absolutely. have a lot of a lot of heavy things happening in the world today yeah. and schools have a lot well, of heavy that, that things same too. frame yeah that same framework fits into a lot of the mindfulness work that you all do and i Absolutely. think we'll probably talk about that as well yeah for sure for sure yeah i really appreciate that so if we take this you know this uh idea and in the world of schools where shifts in leadership Mm -hmm. um, and, and in positions, as we know, happen frequently. Um, right. What advice right. would you give to school professionals specifically as they're embarking on a new role, especially if it's not an <clears throat> ideal situation to start out? Yeah, Tara, I love, love that question. And it, it really, um, uh, again, um, I'm going to take the complexity around that and try to create some clarity around it. Okay. Um, there, there, there's a model. I, I, I just, I, I started working on this uh, uh, pretty much this year, and did, did a little bit of deep dive in the little bit of time I had over the summer, and, and I, I, um, I, 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 I'm a huge fan of uh, the the 19th century Danish existential philosopher Soren Kierkegaard, and he coined this term a leap of faith, and he talks about sort of you know faith as the unknown, that world of ambiguity. And to create clarity, sometimes we're taking a leap into the unknown. I, I I love that model. I love that imagery because it's not without hope, but it's like, okay, how, how can I take this leap even though I'm not quite sure where I'm going to land? And I think that that imagery is true for a lot of us in school leadership. We are taking a leap of faith. I'll say more about that in a minute. But anyway, I took that word leap, L-E-A-P. And I think it's the, the 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 perfect segue into here's what good leaders do, particularly when you're coming into difficult situations, when you're coming into new situations. Maybe you're a first-time head of school. Maybe you're a seasoned head of school, but you've inherited you know, a, a, a real challenge. The L in LEAP, I say, is listening. 
people sometimes ask me when I come into new school, what are you going to do in the first 100 days? And I tell them, well, after 100 days, I'm a third of the way through the school year. So let's let's back that up and make it the first 30 days. Um, I go on a listening tour. I engage people and listen 10 times more than I talk. I will ask them probing questions and deep questions. What brought you here? What keeps you here? What gives life and meaning to the work? What's so special about this place that would be missed if it were to go away? And then I step back and just listen to their responses. You, you get the energy and, and the goodness that comes out of the organization, but you also feel the points of pain. And you lean into that after you've built the trust. That only comes about with listening. I, I made this mistake in my early days of leadership where I came in thinking, you know, I've got lots of experience. I got lots of ideas. Here's what we're going to do. And I didn't take the time to listen. And it didn't go very well. So I've learned the hard way. Do your listening tour. That's the L in LEAP. The E is equilibrium. And I referred to this earlier in my comments of finding your style, finding the Hogan folks. And I really like their imagery. They talk about the dimensions of leadership. You know, the, the, the kind of uh, continuum between a thought leader and a task-oriented leader. The continuum between people and processes. The, the continuum between the social skills and the importance of data. And, and the analytical kinds of skills. And most of us have a comfort zone. The equilibrium is finding where you are on that continuum. What's your comfort zone? What are your strengths? But then how easily or how difficult is it for you to leverage the other side of that continuum that you really need to, to be to find your equilibrium and be able to respond in a, it, it, to, to the versatility that I talked about in the, in, uh, previously. So E is for equilibrium, find, finding, finding that space. The A in LEAP is authenticity. Be yourself, build the trust, lead with humility. Um, be yourself, confident yet vulnerable. You know, your ego sometimes can get in the way in leadership. Check that at the door. Be humble. Let people know your vulnerability. Let people know what, you know, where, where, hey, I'm really working on this. Help me. It's okay to do that. Um, so authenticity, I think, is really important for leaders. Um, our, our teachers, our parents, especially our kids, will be able to see right through that. If we're not authentic, our kids will be the first to point that out to us. They can spot that in a heartbeat. Uh, and And they do. And they'll let you know. Uh, and, and the P in LEAP, I refer to two words, pace and purpose. The pace at which we do leadership, the pace that we bring to the work in schools is so important. Keep in mind, change is incredibly hard for people. And sometimes, particularly if you're a new leader, you represent change. You represent the unknown. That unknown creates a sense of fear. People are not at their best when they're dwelling in that fear. People will not be rational when they're living in fear. Calm the waters, build the trust, but pace the change that you want to employ. You got to build the trust first or any change that you want to do is going to be really, really difficult. And then the second P is purpose. I like the notion uh, put forth by Robert Quinn. I mentioned the, the good work that the folks over at the um, Ross School of Business are doing in the Center for uh, Positive Organization. Robert Quinn talks about 
let's instead of problem solving, let's focus on purpose finding. And I really like that framework. I can sit all day and admire the problems and figure out strategies and solutions, and they have their place. But if I don't focus on what our purpose is, I'm not going to be solving the right problems, or I'm going to be solving them in, in an inappropriate way, in an ineffective way. So purpose finding over problem solving, part of the pace of change, but first we have to find our purpose. That's that's a great word that I rely on to say, well, you know, what 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 are your what what are your four points of advice for new leaders? Leap. It's a leap of faith. Listen, find your equilibrium, be authentic, find your pace and purpose. Ed, I'm so grateful that you shared these steps, the leap, because um, I know that there are so many school leaders starting new positions <clears throat> and heading into these situations. And you gave them some real actionable items, right? The listening piece. I can remember I too made the mistake, my first, you know, yeah. leadership position coming in and being like, hey, let's change this. Let's you know, do this, but I should have, and I've learned, listen, right? Listen to people, understand that, yeah. and it helps you understand who they are, the culture, the challenges ahead of you, um, so that you can make better decisions when the time comes. So thank you for sharing those, Ed. Um, I think sure. our audience sure, happy will find to. them very helpful. Um, I hope so. I'm curious. So, you know, Tara and I are really into marketing. As long you as are, and you do it well. <laughs> So um, I'm curious, putting on our marketing lens, um, yeah. how can like these strategies that we talked about uh, really indirectly or directly impact internal and external marketing efforts? And what I mean by that is retention and enrollment. Um, <clears throat> yeah. I'd love to hear yeah. your thoughts on this. <laughs> well, um, yeah, I, I, I really think there um, is, um, you know, when, when I talked about that, uh, moving from the VUCA environment and, and pivoting, changing that narrative in, into a more positive framework. I, to me, I think that's the essence of your good marketing. Um, you know, if, if it's a given, we're in the VUCA world in the negative sense. There's lots of volatility, ambiguity, um, and, and chaos and so forth. Um, I think it's really important, more important now than ever, that we take that volatility and turn it into to vision. And as leaders, as all members of the school, but particularly our leaders, we have to be out in front of this. You know, how do, I mean, the, the practical question is, how do we take time in our daily routines to take a look at that big long-term picture and always be focusing on that vision? In a time of volatility, parents are shopping for a school. They want to find a school with vision. And if you can articulate that, you've just put to rest any volatility that they might be experiencing around this decision. Um, creating understanding. Um, how can we be more effective at communicating the why of what we do? I think it's really important for leaders to do that, not just for their own students and their own constituents, but potential families coming to us. They really need to hear the why from us. They need that understanding uh, of, of who we are and what we do. And and then the issue of clarity, taking the chaos and moving it to clarity. Um, as a leader, ask yourself: Am I am I presenting myself in a way that brings calm amidst the chaos? That's really important to do. It's not that you ignore the chaos; you need to lean into that, but lean into it in a way that instills confidence, that brings calm, 
that sense of, okay, there's turbulence, but you know what? We're in for a smooth landing. We will get through this. And then the final, the agility, taking that uh, ambiguity and turn it to agility. Uh, you know, ask ourselves the question, am I managing the pace of change needed to get to a better place? Again, the adage, too much change too quickly will add to that chaos and confusion. So manage that in a way, in an agile kind of way that will, will get you through the turbulence. All of that, I think, are very good marketing skills. So I think you can flip that language of VUCA onto the positive framework. And, and there, there's a good marketing strategy right there, I think. Yeah, I, all of these acronyms. I'm hoping that after that we can get some um, show notes from you afterward to put you, in you our can. show notes with all of this because so you just need to remember yeah. two words: VUCA and leap, and you got it. <laughs> but not, just remember what the letters stand for. That, but yeah, I'll be glad to share that with you. Yeah, I mean, I think it's important, right, as a leader, that you know that you're setting the tone for the culture of the school, and that can that can really impact the impression. Um, and the feeling of the school, both for the prospective families and the current families, you know, right. that, that, that that's really important too. So I appreciate all that Absolutely. you've shared. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to talk about mindfulness and, you know, some sure. of the things that you mentioned in the beginning and those strategies really referenced, um, you know, the idea of mindfulness um, as well. But in our podcast, we talk about mindfulness and how yeah. it applies yeah. to school leaders. So and how do you define mindfulness and, and how do you live it out in your role with schools? I, I, Tara, I love that question. And um, time doesn't permit us here to go all the different tangents I could go on that. But that's, I'll, I'll, I'll try to really focus, which is part, part of mindfulness. Um, I, 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 would, uh, I, I, I would kind of articulate three areas of mindfulness, routines, focus, and reflection. I, I don't have an acronym for that. So we'll just have to remember those three words. Uh, uh, give me time and I'll work on it though. Routines, focus, reflection. I think it's really important, um, you know, the the, the routines. Uh, and and what I, I'm not implying we, we live rigid lives. You know, when I said about we, we have to um, um, foster that sense of being able to pivot at a moment's notice, um, that that sometimes our routines get in the way, but I think it is important to be very intentional about certain routines that can can bring about a calmness and a centering to the work that you do. I'll give you a couple quick examples. Um, uh, one of our wonderful teachers here at the school I'm working at right now, the Science and Arts Academy, right outside of Chicago. Um, she's a yoga instructor, and every Thursday morning she invites members of the faculty. Anybody who wants to come, uh, she calls it our breathing time. I went to it the first time this morning. It's 15 minutes. It's not yoga, but it's just getting into a comfortable position. She walks through some mindful kinds of thoughts that help us center, helps us get rid of the clutter and chaos, helps me just push aside all of the checklist of things that I have to do today and just center myself. What a wonderful gift. I, I, I'm a firm believer in just in embracing routines like that. And I, I, I told her afterwards, I said, I'm going to put on my calendar for every Thursday morning at eight o'clock, big and bold, breathe. 
I need to take time to do that. Um, I try to, at the end of the day, uh, if any, if you've read any of the work of um, Harry Kramer, um, who, who was a CEO for years and now is a professor at uh, Northwestern University and, and really takes, you know, his, his work in business consultation and really brings the reflection piece into it. He, he talks often about the need for reflection. He says at the end of the day, I call it my sunset time. I I have the good fortune of living in an apartment outside of Chicago that has a view to the West. And I try every night to carve out, okay, when is the sun setting? I want to be home sitting on my porch, even if it's just 10 minutes to watch that sun go down. It's centering, it's calming. It puts me in that framework of, you know what? This universe has been going on for a long time. This system has been in place for, I don't know what, four and a half billion years or whatever. And I'm given a thin slice of that to experience that. That helps center me. Might make me feel insignificant, but it it it, it, it I feel like a small speck in this whole thing. But there's meaning and purpose to what I do. Watching a sunset to me connects me with that. I try to make that part of my routine. I can't do it every day. Some days it's a cloudy day. It doesn't matter. Whatever the universe brings you, take time to watch those passages of time. Make that I make that part of my routine, and I really find that to be helpful. Uh, the second thing I talked about is focus. Again, you know, mo moving the clutter and chaos and confusion out of the way and bringing the focus. Our routines can help us with that. I think the reflection piece, too. Uh, you know, I love uh, Harry Kramer's uh, mantra of at the end of the day, ask yourself, what did you do well? What went well? What didn't go well? And how am I going to do it differently? And if I am given tomorrow, how am I going to do it? How, how am I going to do it differently? Um, those little nuggets of of, of wisdom, um, I think it's important to 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 hold uh, hold on to. If I can go back for a moment here in conclusion to. Uh, uh, to to Soren Kierkegaard, who who talks about this leap of faith and that notion, and and he he kind of clarified, he says leap of faith, yes, but only after reflection. I think the reflection piece brings the meaning and purpose to those leaps of faith that we're in in this crazy work of school leadership. And that was so powerful, and I think a lot of our school leaders can relate to 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 needing to bring these elements into their day if they're not already. I know when I do these things in my day, I'm a far better, you know, uh, business person, a far better, yeah. you know, steward of the work that I'm doing and a better parent, right? And a better, yeah, my best absolutely. Self. So we're at our um, best selves. Yeah. yeah. So thank you for sharing this. Now You're I'm welcome. excited for, because <laughs> I enjoy talking to you all the time ahead. <clears throat> I'm Likewise. excited to head into the rapid fire questions, uh, which sure. are some of our favorites. So it's the questions we ask all our guests. Um, so I want to kick <clears> us <throat> off. If you could put <clears throat> one book as mandatory reading in the <clears throat> high school curriculum, what would it be? I would require all students <clears throat> before their senior year to read Frank Bruni's Where You Go Is Not Who You Will Be. Frank does a fantastic job of confronting the talk about chaos and confusion around the college admission process and the angst and anxiety we put our students through. It, it's, it's unfortunate. 
And Frank does a really nice job to help students, help parents work through this process. Yes, it's an important decision, but it's not a determinant of what your life is going to be. Where you go is not who you will be. Great read, easy read, but some really good nuggets of wisdom by Frank Bruni. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing. Okay, our next rapid fire question is, what is one app you could not live without? I I have never been asked that question before, but (laughs) as one who tries to be as low tech as I can, managing tech just so I can get by in this world, um, I I would have to say, and this is totally not related to work, but I, I have, since I was a kid, I've been a big baseball fan, you know, the kind of kid who would pick up the paper every morning, turn to the sports page as I'm eating my bowl of cereal, find out who won, who lost the stats and everything. I've got an MLB app on my phone that I absolutely love. I can check standings. I can check scores. I can check, you know, how the Cubs are doing or not. Um, I, I love that. And, and there's even a, a factor in there where I, I can actually listen to games any game in the major league that is that's a world that i didn't think would ever exist when i was a kid growing up and i find that fascinating um if i i know this is rapid fire but if i could just do do two quick outtakes on that um there there's a book that i read a couple of years ago uh by mark um clingwell called fail better subtitled why baseball matters and it's it's part poetry it's part essay it's part philosophy and it's like he says in the world of baseball, and this is maybe why I like the game so much. Um, you know, success means you failed three out of uh, you failed seven out of ten times. A good batting average is point three zero zero. That means you're not getting on base seven out of the ten times you come to the plate. But there's meaning and purpose behind those times you don't get on base. It's okay to fail. It's okay to learn from that if we're not learning from it. If it's not part of our strategy, we're missing something. And and Mark puts that just into a lovely um, poetic perspective. Um, fail better. Good good read uh, out for maybe a couple of years now. I think it was 2016, 2017. Speaking of apps, I try to be very intentional about not being so connected all the time to my device. I've I've been influenced a lot by the work of Sherry Turkle, um, who uh, her books, Reclaiming Conversation and Alone Together. um, She cautions of of the the addiction that we have to our devices. So I try not to be addicted to my MLB app, but boy, sometimes it's hard. Um, uh, She said she coined the phrase connected, but not present. I've got to watch myself. I got to be mindful about not being so addicted to my device that I lose that connection I, I, I need to find a way, as Sherry would say, to stay connected, but be present. That's amazing. And Great I, I think- question. Sorry for the long rambling answer, but uh, I, I love that. My, my MLB app is really important to me, but not too important. I love it. And I don't think we've ever had anyone answer with the MLB app. So I feel like you win the prize for that. Good. Well, Obviously. I'm not into it to win the prize. I'm just being my authentic self. I, know. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, Okay. So, I mean, clearly you've mentioned many books already, all of which yeah. I, you were frantically writing down and we'll add to our book list, of course. Um, Please do. We have a book, we have a Goodreads list uh, good, for the podcast. Good, um, good. But what are you reading right now? 
Yeah, I'm I'm uh, two chapters away from finishing. I, I I have been fascinated by this. It's a book entitled American Ramble, written by Neil King Jr. Uh, Neil King is a retired writer for I believe it's the Wall Street Journal, may have been the New York Times. I'm not sure, but has written for some you know the Atlantic and and some other um, uh, key journals, and. During the pandemic, this goes back to I think the uh, 2020, the spring of 2021. I think it is is when he did this. Um, he, he had his own personal health scare. He was in the mid talk about living and writing as a career in a VUCA environment. He was a correspondent in Washington D.C. where he's lived for for some time. Um, he just had this moment of I've got to get perspective on all this craziness that's going on. He set out to walk from Washington, D.C. to New York City in the spring of COVID. And what he wanted to accomplish was, I, I want to I connect with people. I want to find out, you know, is this really such a divided world that we live in where, you know, I'm on this side, you're on that side, and we can't talk to each other? That's not a world he wants to live in. I don't think that's a world any of us wants to live in. So he went on this journey, this walk, with the intentionality of encountering people just in their everyday lives. Fascinating read. Uh, I love the stories. He he talks about the history of the places he's gone. I you know I reference. I grew up in South Central Pennsylvania. I, I you know he talks about his journey. He's like, I know I know that place. I used to walk across that bridge. I know what you're talking about. Um, Fascinating yeah. read, really enjoyable for me. I connect uh, in a very personal way, but it's really a profound look at how do we want to be? How do we, yeah. how, how can we bridge this divide? Um, you know, how, how can we have good discourse without demonizing each other? Yeah. He has some really good insights. He, he, he discovers some of the people who he most vehemently disagreed with were some of the most hospitable people to him change his whole perspective. Oh, really good read. I'll Neil King, American you. Ramble. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Well, Ed, we are out of time. We're so glad that you were able to join us. Uh, where can people find you uh, online? Uh, people can find me. I don't have a real strong, uh, unlike you all who do the social media incredibly well, and I need to learn from you better. Uh, I am on Facebook, but I don't do much with it. LinkedIn is probably the best way. Just put in my name. Um, I, I operate under Hollinger Group Consulting, um, and um, uh, the writing that I do, some of the essays that I do, I have uh, people on my listserv that I push that out to, but I do the same thing on LinkedIn. So that's probably the best way to get in touch with me. Website uh, I can share with you. It's uh, hollingergroupconsulting.com. Um, you can find me on there and find ways to connect with me on there as well. Thank I even you have so one much. of those handy schedulers. You can schedule a time to chat with me on that. Yes. So thank you. Happy to awesome. Do that. Thank you Ed, very is, much. Yeah. It's been yeah. so fun chatting with you, Ed. Thank you for sharing these amazing strategies with our audience and with us. Yes. Have thank a you great for day. the opportunity. I appreciate it very much. Thank you thank all. You. all right, take care. You. Be well. Thanks. Keep Thanks. the faith. Thanks. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye. Inquiry Tracker is the all-in-one CRM solution used by over 250 schools. Easily manage all your inquiries, tours, and open houses. Key instant analytics help you manage and grow a robust pipeline. So end spreadsheets forever. 
The smart online application system with powerful document upload is a game changer. No school is too small or too big, and their fast start program will get you up and running in no time. Best of all, the system is designed by K through 12 education marketing and admissions professionals. Check out Inquiry Tracker at inquirytracker.net. That's inquiry with an E, tracker.net. Thanks for joining us on the Mindful School Marketing Podcast. We'd love it if you pop into iTunes and leave a review, five-star preferred. Let us know how you like the show. It helps us improve what we're doing and helps others find us too.